Twitter said we wouldn't make it four episodes. What are they saying now? I don't know. I don't follow social media, so I don't know what they're saying. I don't think there are any haters, or I'm not sure if there's any fans either, but um, no one's probably saying anything. But uh, yes, we are here with the fourth episode of Perchcast. Uh, and as you can tell from the audio quality, we are shooting this uh, episode live on location, beautiful Wilmington. Uh, came down to town for the NC State game, which didn't quite go in the Seahawks' favor. How's it going, Mike? It's going pretty good. All of a sudden, I'm thinking maybe we're sitting too close. I don't have a mask on. Is it okay that we're doing this perch cast here right now? I feel like we're six feet apart. Okay. Well, I, it's I, close to Friday, and COVID's gone on Friday, right? Yeah, COVID's gone on Friday officially. So, there we um, go. This, this will come out on Wednesday, so uh, don't tell the governor on us uh, between now and then. Um, anyway, uh, it has been an interesting time since uh, last we spoke. I think we chatted after the ECU game. No, I think before. Did we chat before the ECU game? Not one more. Oh, yeah, that's correct. We talked before the ECU game, uh, which uh, the Seahawks went out and played awesome uh, in every possible way. <laughs> Completely dominated. Jacob Schaefer was fantastic. 17 hits, uh, everyone in the lineup got a hit. It was just an awesome night for baseball uh, at Brooks Field. And then... Hung over. A little hungover. Something we could probably speak a little to, a little bit to. Um, things didn't transpire quite so great for the Seahawks uh, in Williamsburg over the weekend where they dropped the first two games of the series against William & Mary in a doubleheader, which was... Uh, the first game was kind of in control right up there until the end, and uh, the first error. The Seahawks had gone 44 straight innings without an error, and then the first one ultimately cost them the game because, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn. Well, let's, you know, I didn't even think we were going to talk about how enjoyable that East Carolina game was, Brant, uh, <laughs> last Wednesday night. Uh, what were they? Top seven. They were number seven in in the highest poll they were in. Yeah, they're number week. seven in the uh, the highest ranking that they uh, got. Had some great eight, quality eight, wins, you know, against the Dukes of the world. Uh, you know, just rolling on all cylinders, and they come into Wilmington, North Carolina, normally a, a heated environment with a packed stadium. I guess this is as packed as it gets in the COVID world. All four hundred ninety two people, four hundred ninety two strong, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, whew, it couldn't have asked for a worse start, quite frankly, where the first four Pirates get on. Two of them come across to score. Uh, like you said, Schaefer kind of regained his composure there, got a double play. Uh, defense helped him get out of it. Uh, but then the Seahawks come right back and tie it up and then just go on to dominate that game. And, you know, I've seen some great performances from the Seahawks, offensive, defensive, pitching-wise, but I can't really remember... Uh, you know, a complete performance against that top caliber of a team uh, in my 20 years here, I think, Brant. Yeah, that, I mean, things felt really, really good after that. You're like, man. And that was like, that was kind of how you imagine this team could be when it plays its best. Because uh, Jacob Schaefer, you talk about the pitching depth. Freshman goes out there, gets not hit in the mouth immediately, uh, gains his composure and sits down 11 Pirates in a row. Um, just a fantastic performance out of him. And then the bullpen, one after another, comes in and just sets him down, allows one hit the rest of the way. Um, so that's kind of how we saw this going with uh, the pitching depth that UNCW has this year and 
how great they were from top to bottom in, in pitching that game, which is kind of the opposite of what you saw from ECU. It's what you see in the midweek from a lot of good teams is that they just don't have the arms to, you know, put together a fourth game in a week like that. So um, it was a really exciting performance, great performance, and a, a preview of, you know, kind of what this could be at its best. And then... And, well, and yet you <laughs> knew, you know, it's just one game. Yeah. yeah. As exciting as, as it was and... Uh, as great a performance as it was, you knew it was just one game, uh, but you thought what the potential could be if the Seahawks could go out there and, you know, the next game up uh, was the first game of a doubleheader on a Saturday, kind of an odd COVID schedule quirk here in William and Mary. But nonetheless, you knew you had three games against, you know, the first conference opponent of the season. And, you know, I know we've talked about this, uh, you know, between podcasts kind of reminiscent of 2013 where the Seahawks did not blow out number one North Carolina, but did come away with a win at number one North Carolina and then kind of uh, laid an egg up in Towson, Maryland. They did win the Friday game that year, but then lost Saturday and Sunday and kind of away with the wind went those thoughts about, you know, what could be. Yeah, And that's kind of what happened here as well, all on that doubleheader on a Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably, like, a little bit of an overreaction for, like, t- two days of the season in March. But, yeah, it's, sure. it definitely knocks you back a little bit when you have the excitement of, man, we beat the number seven team in the nation, and not only did we beat them, we dominated them. And we dominated them in the way that it takes to be a really good team when it comes to the postseason around here. Um, so, yeah, Saturday was kind of weird. It was... Um, a double header, and there is COVID in Virginia, unlike South Carolina. No COVID. COVID in Virginia, some COVID in North Carolina, none in South Carolina, where we're going this next weekend, where uh, fans are allowed. You can probably not wear a mask if you want down there. But Virginia, yeah, they did not allow fans, uh, like no pass list, no player parents, anything like that. So a bit of a strange environment, and, you know, that game was – it felt like – there was a lot of missed opportunities early on in that game that things could have gone a little better. UNCW could have gotten a bigger lead, and then it comes down to the end, and um, we were in a position to get beat on a mistake, which is a really unfortunate thing to happen for a team that had been so clean defensively. I mean, you talk about that ECU game. It was just one highlight defensive play after another. So just to come down over a, a silly high throw, is just kind of the cruelty of baseball in that first game. And then the second game, you're like, all right, you know, they're, they're going to rebound from that. They're going to come back angry. And um, it was just an, another one of those things where an error cost them. And in all, I think, eight unearned runs on – or, yeah, eight unearned runs on the weekend, which is wild. <laughs> 13, 13 total runs for William & Mary on the weekend, and eight, eight of them were unearned. I mean, just a tough weekend overall, you know, from a fan standpoint, I consider myself a fan still. Uh, Like you said, after the East Carolina game, you're thinking, we should be top 10 in in the nation. (laughs) Yeah. And then you turn around, and then after a weekend where you lose a series on the road to a William & Mary team that was picked last in the CAA South Division, now you're thinking, you know, oh boy, can we even make the CAA tournament? (laughs) That's not true. I, I wasn't thinking that, but... Just to kind of show you the, you know, the ebbs and flows of, you know, baseball, I guess. But you got a weekend where... You're very fickle. On, uh, right. 
uh, old Michael Fickle Barnes. Um, on that Saturday, you know, you, you kind of come out to a strong lead, you know, kind of sleepwalk through the middle innings there and then set yourself up where you're in a position where a team can come back and win a game. And it's, you know, it's, there were a lot of errors made, no doubt, but it's not one error. It's not one walk. It's no, not it's... one strikeout. You know, it's a combination of all that. So. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're putting up the runs that you should be putting up, then an error doesn't beat you. And uh, an error, yeah, it just, it, it's all kind of, it all comes together. And just not doing enough to win those games. And, you know, it's not like UNCW is bad. They hit the baseball. Um, I think they got 30 hits in the series, something like that. Maybe even over 30. But they just weren't uh, all, <laughs> they weren't in a row and they weren't timely and you didn't string them together. So that's kind of what beats you in baseball, which is unfortunately kind of what continued into tonight. Um, great segue, right? Um, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, kind of a... You hit the baseball, but it wasn't enough of a, you didn't get that big inning. That's kind of what's been lacking um, since over the course of the William Mary series and tonight is... There was never that big inning where, where things just kind of broke open and, and the floodgates happened. Yeah, I mean, defensively, you got to clean up some of those errors. Uh, not so much against NC State, more so on the William & Mary series. Um, you know, honestly, I, I got to say, uh, pitching's been pretty strong throughout. You know, there's maybe a few walks you, you might want back. Um, but other than that, I you know, you've gotten some length from the starters. Landon Roop, you know, on his... Saturday game one start, you know, went into the eighth inning. Yeah, that's, you know? that's so, that was the really one of the more unfortunate parts of that is he pitched great and, you know, he's really gotten himself into a groove and you'd like to see a guy be rewarded with a victory in that case and just comes down to, to something silly that costs him that. And, um, and then in the Sunday game, you know, two freshmen, Ryan Calvert, Hunter Hodges come out and, yeah. you know, throw up a, a three-hit one run gem of a game, you know, a much needed game that the Seahawks were able to kind of hang on to and, and take care of it. You know, it wasn't smooth sailing by any means, but they hung on to that game. So all in all, I'll say the pitching's pretty good. Luke pitched well on, in the second game Saturday, except for that a one error situation uh, got him in a little trouble. And that's kind of ultimately what the difference was in that game. So, um, yeah, I mean, you still feel really good about the way things are going. It's just cleaning up here and there. I'd say the hitting's you know, been there for the most part as well. Is there's just something about the middle innings over the last, say, four games where it seems like, you know, the bats got hot early and were able to, you know, really come out to a lead, really, in all, in all four of the last games. And, and, you know, East Carolina game as well, I'd say. Um, but then for some reason, they kind of go a little quiet there in the middle innings. You saw some of those William & Mary pitchers settle into a groove, and I'm not sure if it's – you know, something with the plate approach where you feel comfortable with a, a three-run lead or something like that. But, you know, if, if you can't break out with a, a big inning like you were talking about earlier, you, you got to keep tacking on, you know, even if it's one here, one there. So when you go up 3 nothing after two or three innings, you can't get comfortable and sit back. If there's anything the Cincinnati series taught us, it's uh, that, that some runs are good, but more runs are, are <laughs> more runs are necessary, actually, sometimes. And, and that's a great point, you know, to make as well. You know, even if you feel like you might be out of a game, you know, that uh, second game against William & Mary on Saturday, down, what, 7-3, to three, I think? 
yeah, mounted a, a nice rally and nearly tied it up there before. Uh, you know, so if there's any team that, that knows you're never out of a game, you know, this is that team, and that's something you can point back to. And you look back at the record and the RPI, and you say, you know, oh, that's a win. But you were down, you know, eight to one yeah. in that game late. Uh, so that's something to build off of. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's what is it, three losses in four games? Three losses in four games against um, teams with a losing record. And depends on how you really look at that. If you really think that State is a 4-9 and nine baseball team. Um, they've played some good teams in the ACC. They were picked to finish second in the Atlantic Division. I mean, they've been a 40-win team the past two full seasons that they've played. And they were on track for another last year. Um, they just haven't been able to pitch well this year. They've still got some talent. They got a guy that, that might be a first-rounder in Luca Tresh. Didn't really do much tonight, I don't think. Um, don't, don't recall hearing his name a whole lot out there. But, um, yeah, that, that's a talented team. Um, but that was a very winnable game for UNCW tonight, and, and the bats just really never got going. It was the three solo home runs, which was, you know, it's awesome to see three home runs in a game, but they were solo home runs, and... Um, once guys got on base, we couldn't move them, and then we get the leadoff man on, and the eight was that the, was it the eighth. We get the leadoff man on, and then there's a double yeah. play, and it's just you know it, it was kind of like that. And I think the only the real con, the only real concern that I had when I was looking back at the box score was um, State has really not pitched well this year. They they've had a lot of trouble in pitching, and their starter tonight, David Harrison, was pretty solid. He'd done a decent job. He gave up some home runs, but he, he pitched pretty well. Um, but I think the, the real issue was you go into that game trying to really, really banking on getting into the bullpen, and uh, their starter went five innings on 68 pitches. So, um, I don't know. I, I think <laughs> you, you can't just let a guy throw three strikes down the middle, but there, there are ways to extend at-bats and, and lengthen some at-bats. And um, I don't know. I, I think that they pr- you would probably go into that game planning – to really make it hard and, and make that starter throw as many pitches as he has to so that you can get into that bullpen, which has really struggled this year. Well, and, and that was a story on Saturday against William & Mary as well. A couple of, uh, you know, granted they're Friday and Saturday starter, no doubt, but uh, again, a William & Mary team that was, you know, not projected to do a whole lot. You let those two starters look like, <laughs> you know, caliber guys. And I, I think it boils down to, again, you know, from the start of the game, from your first at bat to your second, third, four, you know, all the way throughout the game, you gotta be locked in, uh, no matter what the score is on the board. So, you know, I don't know what you do, maybe pretend it's it's zero zero the whole way through, but you gotta lock into those middle at bats, whether you're up or down, and have those, you know, it's cliche, but have those quality at bats where, if nothing else, you know, you're taking pitches off the pitcher and getting ever closer to that bullpen. Yeah, I think it's. Um... You see it occasionally as you look back over the box scores. Um, William and Mary, their starter went 5.1, and he threw 83 pitches. And then they had one reliever come in and um, face three batters and throw 10 pitches. There's another guy that came in and faced five batters and threw 14 pitches. Um, that was in the first game. And then, uh, you know, we made them work a little more in that second game on, on Saturday. And you kind of see that in the the six runs that we were able to put up, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not a hitting coach. I'm not. <laughs> I was a very bad baseball player. In fact, I was I was a pretty good fielder. I was an excellent defensive player, but I'm not sure if I could hit the ball out of the infield. But 
yeah, I mean, I think that there are definitely some times, especially that uh, double play at the beginning of the eighth inning tonight was on the first pitch. So that, that's a situation you, where you want to see guys be a little more patient up there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fine line to walk, no doubt, because if you, if you see that pitch yeah. <laughs> go right down the middle, you know, you're kicking yourself. But I, I do feel like more often than not, you want to extend those at-bats at the college, at this level. Yeah. And, you know, make, make the pitcher work for his outs. Yeah, but, of course, we say all that, like, against ECU, and they were just teeing off. It didn't matter if it was the first pitch of the at-bat or the sixth pitch of the at-bat. They were hitting everything those guys threw. Um so baseball is just a, a silly, weird game that um, really doesn't make any sense, and that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, we're really down on ourselves here, Brant, so let's look forward to the future. And, uh, you know, the future is a, another away conference series at the College of Charleston. Was worried there for a minute that it might not happen. They took, a, I guess, a one-week pause for COVID. I guess that can happen just one week. Uh, well, in, in South baseball. Carolina, there's no COVID. <laughs> I guess, I, you know, I guess with the amount of players you have – you know, even if there are still a couple of guys impacted and not with the team, I guess you can still field a team. It's not like yeah, basketball. Yeah, it's, it's probably contract contract tracing, or as opposed to a poly- I wish I could talk. Contact tracing, as opposed to a positive test, maybe you can get guys back quicker. Um, well, I think you practice in, in groups as well. So you know, again, unlike basketball, where you have you know half your team out on the court in practice at one time, and if what five guys are out, you know, you can't field a team. Baseball, five guys are out. It sucks if those are your five starters, but you can still field a team. Yeah, so. there's no way uh, that you can cancel a series with five guys out. Um, yeah, so tonight after the game, I asked Randy Hood, you know, if he was concerned about the way things had kind of transpired lately, and um, he didn't really seem to, to give it much thought. He said that he felt like UNCW had played pretty well, and obviously they could have played better. They, they played decent could do a little better just clean up some things here and there but really no big cause for concern nothing that he had seen in the approach since ECU game as far as guys getting too comfortable with what they had done that sort of thing so um you know you got to feel good about this weekend especially going down to a beautiful Patriots point to meet a team that um has been pretty fun to play for the past few years for UNCW I think that's a fun rivalry a good rivalry and um I don't think anybody's going to have any trouble getting up for that one. Yeah, d- despite all our nitpicking, which went on probably too long. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> those three losses in the last four games, you know, all had the either tying or go-ahead run at the plate for the Seahawks in all those games. So as much as we can say, you know, improve upon the defense, improve upon those at-bats, you know, maybe throw that strike instead of a non-competitive pitch. The Seahawks were in all those games at the end of the day. Uh, and you look ahead to a you know important road series, like you said, Charleston's kind of become the new, I'd say you know maybe UNCW's biggest rival, just in general. You know back in our day it was East Carolina, and even then they had left the conference really. Uh, but I feel like Charleston being so close, being in the conference, being competitive in a lot of these sports, basketball, baseball, soccer, um, they've kind of become the new you know rival. I would I would say here for the Seahawks. And uh, like you said, I think uh, the guys will get up for that. It's three games on the road, uh, familiar territory. Fans are allowed. I'm going. I've got my tickets. Uh, it should be a good time. Yeah, it helps that Charleston's a pretty cool place to visit. Yeah. So I think people are willing to make that road trip. And 
people want to go down there and experience the town, maybe have a couple beverages before hitting a game. And or during the game. Engaging in some uh, some good-natured heckling with the cougar faithful. Um, yeah, now, going back to your point about the nitpicking and stuff, and I think that was a point that, that Randy Hood was making tonight, too, is he said the toughest thing is uh, is just losing because – you know, at this point, your guys feel. He said the guys feel like they should win every game, and they can win every game. And I guess that's kind of what makes it tough. Is like you've seen how well you could play and how great it can be, and you're. It's um, you you do want to win every game because it's it's so much fun, especially, you know, being the smaller school against the upstart pro, or against these bigger programs, and um, it, it feels awesome to beat them, especially State, who's been such a thorn in the side of UNCW for. I think it's 16 out of the past 17 now and seven straight. So, Some so, of those pretty ugly at that. Yeah, and they're, they're a great program, um, and, and you just love to beat them. So, But, uh, you know, on our side as well, you know, I th- we have high expectations for the team, and so I think it's fair to nitpick the way we've been doing. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's high expectations for this program. I mean, you know, it's, it's been this long where they've been this competitive, and you're waiting for this program to take the next step. And yes, you got to enjoy the wins, and you got to kind of you know forget those losses. But um, you know, I think you've got to have a short memory, no matter what it is. You can't over enjoy those wins. You can't you know beat yourself down after some of those losses. You got to have a short memory and get right back out there, whether it's game to game, pitch to pitch, inning to inning, whatever it is. Uh, you know, you got to play to your potential and, and lock in. You know, ev- every pitch. And you got to lock in this weekend. Of course. This will, this will be, uh, Brent, I'm rather excited because uh, this will be the first uh, fandom I'll be able to exhibit uh, for this season. Yeah, you're very professional when you're working the camera, <laughs> aside from uh, engaging in the Harlem Shake and all that. So Wasn't uh, even played tonight. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that could have been. We got, some, yeah, we got some nitpicking to do with that. We got some nitpicking to do with the Rally Cat. The Rally Cat is fired. Yeah, I mean... Rally Cat's done nothing. You can't just rally on opening day and then not show up again. He's just mailed it in for the rest of the year. So um, Arthur, my cat, the Rally Cat, is officially fired. Uh, We're looking for a new Rally Cat. Let's motion to suspend the Twitter account. So, uh, yeah, definitely do that. Whoever's running that is um, not not well mentally, probably. Um, But, yeah, so we are taking auditions if you want to... Submit your cat to be the rally cat or, you know, another rally animal. We'll take a rally horse. It could be a mammal. It could be anything. Capybara, um, tortoise, cockatiel. Reptiles co- are allowed. Okay. Cockatoo, cockatiel. Yeah, too close to a Chanticleer. Yeah, that's true. We don't, we don't want any of that. Um, but, yeah, submit your animals. We'd, we'd like to uh, have, them, have them join the program. Um, just looking up and down the lineup, uh, Dylan LaFrary is a guy that's kind of gotten hot lately. He's... Someone that I'm hoping to write a story on here shortly kind of got the wheels moving on that tonight with some questions I asked. Um, you know, he kind of kind of came in under the radar. As you know, you see this guy from San Diego has joined the program, and then you start looking at his background. He's like a top 150 recruit, started his career at Arkansas, which is I think the currently number one team in the nation. They're college World Series favorite. I think Vandy is now, but. Oh, whatever. Close enough. You know, all the the whole SEC, they they all rotate. If only they had caught that foul ball in the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> they all rotate that whole thing throughout the year. But, um, yeah, so he moved up in the lineup tonight, and Cole Weiss moved up while Jack Crew moved down. Um, just seeing a couple little lineup things, and Randy Hood said that 
you know, those may not be permanent things that are just experiments. And Ron Evans got in the lineup tonight and got himself on base um, one time. I'm trying to think of if there's anything else that really stands out. Now, I mean, yeah, for all our nitpicking, you look down the, the lineup and um, who played, and you see a bunch of zeros in the columns for the pitcher, so... We should probably mention uh, Kip Brandenburg, who's oh, yeah. now got a twenty game <laughs> just a twenty game streak. hitting streak. Very, uh, uh, casually, should we should we say it? Six shy of the record. Ah, uh, you blew it. I blew it. I blew it. You shouldn't have done that. Eh, well, that's what it is. I like uh, the fact that he wears his glasses when he's hitting. As a glasses wearer, I like to see the representation that um, we can do great things out there. But yeah, I mean, I think we talked about him. You know, our, our first perch cast where he was a guy. Uh, you know, started at Spartanburg Methodist, you know, powerhouse, JUCO, ended up at Carolina, obviously perennial powerhouse in the ACC, and just couldn't, you know, find a fit and came to, came to UNCW, had to sit out uh, 2019, so he's here with the team, but sat out, and then of course his first year he could play at UNCW, you know, COVID cut it short, never really got in the groove of things, you know, Um and then this year just came out guns a blazing, you know, and yep, hit in every game. He's really not striking out, which is striking strikeouts were kind of what plagued him early on last year as as he got his feet wet at UNCW, and this year he's completely flipped that around. His his strikeout rate is way down, and um, seems like he has one consequential hit of every game in every game. He had a home run uh, tonight again, back to back home runs uh, tonight for Matt Suggs and Kip Brandenburg. Uh, Matt Suggs uh, knocked one off the hitting facility, which is uh, apparently a first in program history, which is um, you got to hit the ball a long way to do that. So um, I'm eating, well, not just me. I, just to set the record straight, in the preseason, Coach Hood was talking a lot about how this this team was not going to have kind of the vintage power that we had seen in the past from some UNCW teams where they were hitting 80 home runs. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're going to end up doing it now. They had three tonight, had a couple over the weekend. Um, the middle of that lineup's proven pretty pretty darn solid um, with no- knocking the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, they're up to up to 19 home runs now through uh, 18 games. So probably not going to get to 80, but it's going to be a pretty good number. Yeah, like the home run's sexy, no doubt about it. But, you know, I'll still – any day I'll take getting some guys on – Early getting them over and getting them in, um, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what Coach Hood thinks about it, but I'm sure I, I think he feels probably the same way. Where, you know, it's, it's not you don't want it to be feast or famine. You want to be putting those runs across, you know, each and every. You want numbers to be on the board all nine innings. You know, even if it's just one run an inning, you're going to win the game. Uh, so, you know, you can't just feast or famine on those power shots, as beautiful as they may be. I guess. <laughs> no, 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 that's a, a, if I had a choice as to, and not that I do, not that it matters, but yeah, I think that I would lean toward playing a more, uh, get guys on base and move them, especially when you got as much speed as this team has, you, you got a lot of guys that can steal bases and can get that extra base and can test an outfield arm. Um, but, but to your point that you were making earlier, I'm just looking over the, the inning by inning and UNCW has, Outscored opponents twenty to six in the first inning, and then fourteen to eight in the second inning, and then kind of comes that little. It's uh, ten to twelve in favor of opponents in the third. Then UNCW strikes back in the fourth with sixteen to nine, 
But the fifth inning has been the trouble. It's 22 to 12 in favor of opponents, and then 10 to 9 in the sixth, um, where then UNCW kind of rebounds over the seventh and eighth with big advantages. And then the ninth is, well, the ninth was tied at 6 6 until William and Mary put up that three spot the other day, and now it's 9 6. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you, you see that uh, right there in the middle of the game where uh, UNCW does come out on fire and then it kind of settles down a little bit, which I'd be interested to to get a baseball perspective on that. Somebody that knows a lot more about the game than I do to explain kind of how that happens. Maybe it's a pitcher second time seeing a guy that, that they're a little more settled in or something like that. It's game of adjustments, Brant. Game of adjustments. Game of interest. That's baseball. No, but I I think there is something to that there in in the you know the second and third at bats against that starting pitcher. I mean, you know, you just got to battle. You got to lock in. You know, drink every time I say lock in. <laughs> lock in. Um, there's something to that. I think. Well, I you know, the analytics say uh, the Rays. Uh, you know how the Rays approach it. They're not going to let a pitcher generally see a guy for a, a pitcher for a third or fourth time in the game. I mean, going as far as pulling out Blake Snell out of that playoff game when he was absolutely dealing. I don't 100% disagree with that, quite yeah. frankly. At, you know, at the time before we knew what happened afterwards. Yeah, I mean, they that's how they got there. Yeah. that That's how you take a, a franchise that has the payroll that they have. Uh, they've made decisions based on that for their entire, well, since they started getting good finally after those early years. Uh, why abandon what got you there in that situation? That wouldn't be true to to, to who you are. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much analytics goes into college baseball in that way. So, um, I guess we'll find out. Maybe really? I'll maybe I'll start charting it. <laughs> well, I mean, you said it. Hood said himself. It was a lot of feel that went into yeah. the lineup tonight. So, I'm not so sure how much analytics goes into it. You're right. Yeah, I don't think uh, analytics are particularly big in in college baseball. Somebody told me to keep college. I, I made an analytics thing the other day about college basketball and um, nothing even that important. It was just about some on-off court stats for Carolina after Walker Kessler transferred and what the stats said about who Carolina's best players were. And somebody told me to keep my numbers, keep my analytics out of sports because analytics are for nerds. Shut up and write. <laughs> Shut up and write. Write words. Yeah. yeah. You know. um, speaking of basketball. We had another uh, big thing going on tonight as Devontae Haycock, former Seahawk legend who should have his jersey in the rafters this season, hopefully. I guess uh, given, you know, with COVID, that can be a consideration this past year. But, um, yeah, you'd, you'd want to see that happen sooner than later. And uh, got his first NBA start tonight for the Lakers. First UNCW player to do that since 1996 when Matt Fish did it for the Knicks against the Lakers. I don't know if those Knicks teams were any good in 96. Um, but They were making playoffs back then. I don't remember if Fish was a part of that. But. I think it was like, yeah, it was right after they'd been to the finals a couple times, so they were probably still pretty good. So the old, you know, the Knicks and Heat were fighting back in those days. Uh, Kaycock's starting kind of more on a necessity right now because the Lakers' entire roster is injured. Um, Anthony Davis is out. LeBron James is out. Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol's out. Uh, they lost a guy in a 10-day. So Devontae went out there and got a steal on the first play of the game. And then uh, a couple trips down the court later, he got a dunk on like <laughs> every play that we saw him run. 
his sophomore year where yeah. he sets a screen at the top and then rolls to the basket and, and flushes a lob. So super cool to see that. Um, wish we would have seen a little bit more of it. He didn't get um, a great amount of playing time, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's on the two-way contract, so the Lakers, you know, value him for that. They, I forget who was on the two-way contract before him, you know, when he was playing in the G League and they dropped him. Taylor Horton Tucker was on. I think Zach Norvell, maybe. Maybe it was Norvell. They got rid of Norvell. They signed Taylor they Horton up, Tucker to a full contract. Yeah. And then Devontae and then Giannis's brother uh, are the two two-way guys right now. And because of all the injuries, he's been active for quite some time now. I, you know, you'll have to look up the specifics and see, you know, how many games he can be active, or is it how many games he has to play before he could he's. You know, they have to sign him to a, a bigger deal instead of just the two-way. But nonetheless, he's gotten playing time here and there uh, with the injuries. Usually garbage time points. Yeah, he's been in the lineup. He's been getting into games pretty regularly for the past month or so now. Uh, he's played eight games this year so far. He's played in eight games this year. He's been active for more than that. Uh, just the last few games, now that LeBron is out, he played in the second quarter uh, on Sunday and then started today. But nonetheless, you know, in both those games, you didn't get the minutes that you thought someone would playing that early in the game. And, you know, watching the beginning of the game here tonight, um, you know, he's, he's not a center. He's, he's not a center. Yeah, they got him kind of trying to play center. They, got him, they had him trying to guard Steven Adams, who isn't a good offensive player, but he's just a lot bigger yeah. than... Uh, than Devontae, um, and he was kind of having his way around the basket in a few of those possessions. And so, you know, look, to come out of college undrafted and go right to playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Get a ring. Uh, well, you, you know, you got a year in the G League, had a, you know, I think it was an all-star in the G League, right? Yeah. And then because of COVID, you know, there's silver lining, and you get to yeah basically get a ring, play in the NBA because of that. And then this year, kind of the same thing. He'd, he'd probably be in the G League, you'd think, if it was a normal season. Yeah. Um, but instead, well, maybe not with all the injuries, he'd be up there anyways. Uh, but instead, he's getting his first career start in the NBA for the Lakers. Um, you know, not a, not a bad story, but you have to think, you know, what could be uh, in the future for this young man? He's only 24. Um, is it with the Lakers? Is it somewhere else? Or, what or could what? be if Frank Vogel didn't hate him? You think that's the case? I don't know. Well, if you read I, Twitter, I read like Lakers Twitter. <laughs> Lakers Twitter um, is very invested in Devon. I mean, Lakers Twitter obviously it's a, a dedicated fan base, so they got something to say about well, every player on the roster. But there's a lot of people out there that want to see Devonte playing a lot more than he is. I think. He, I mean, he's earned his opportunity to play somewhere, and uh, hopefully that happens sooner than later, rather than just 13 minutes in a start. Um, you know. Let the give the guy his chance to write his own story, you know, sink or swim on his own accord rather than um, the accord of someone else. And I'm not saying that Frank Vogel hates him. He's, I mean, he's got so he has played. Where's the total minutes? I don't. He's seven for eight from the field, so he's doing what he's supposed to be doing there. He's obviously taking good shots. He's got ten rebounds. He's got three steals. He's only committed one foul. He's only got two turnovers. Um, so he's he's doing. I think it looks like he's played about 30-ish minutes. So he's played 30. He's got 14 points, 10 rebounds. I mean, you play 30 minutes a game, that's a double-double. That's pretty good. Those are some numbers we're familiar with. Uh, yeah, those are against some backups a lot. But 
Um, I, I would say that he's probably earned more playing time, especially on a team that is really struggling right now as as they go on without, you know, two of the top five players in the NBA. So, um, yeah, play him more, or uh, I'm going to find you, Frank Vogel, and uh, the Seahawk perch is uh, going to have a conversation with you. He will make a graphic. I will make a graphic if I have to. I mean, I list all of the reasons that Frank Vogel uh, hates hates Devontae Kaycock. Um, anyway, moving on from that. Um, but no, that's a, that's a great story and a great segue kind of into the transfer portal of what UNCW basketball is doing right now because there's been a roster update and there are currently five players on the roster. Um, in college basketball, you can have 13 scholarship players. So um, seems like there's going to be a lot of guys incoming. You know, there's there's four freshmen that they have signed so that those four guys will be added. Um, so you're, you're looking to possibly add, I don't know, four, four more guys to the roster through the transfer portal. And what a great story you got, because you can go out and you can say, we found this kid, Devontae Kaycock, who didn't have any offers, was completely raw, came to UNCW, didn't play much his freshman year, and then butted into this guy that set uh, an NCAA field goal percentage record, set a rebound record. Uh, he was 6'6", 195 coming out of high school. He was listed as a three-star player uh, on his recruiting profile with offers from Wilmington, Charleston Southern, Chattanooga, Coastal Carolina, and East Tennessee State. Uh, looks like Gardner-Webb and Kent State also got in there, VMI. So, um, Sorry, flashes. Yes, very, you know, very mid-major and low-major schools, and now he's starting on, on the Lakers. And, um, it was Devonta, it was uh, Takeo Siddle and Kevin Keats, that staff is who identified him and brought him to Wilmington. So that's, a, that's something you can definitely sell to somebody. It, I mean, it's going to be a crazy year, and not just for UNCW, but for, like, every, I was going to say mid-major, but not even that, every school. Like, this is going to be insane, this, you know, year of free agency. Yeah, and we've seen it at the highest level now, especially with what was going on yesterday on Twitter when um, I, it was basically declared the end of Carolina basketball, and Roy Williams should be fired because they had one player who came off the bench that's going to transfer. Um but that's, that's how it's going to go everywhere. I'm just looking at Verbal Commit's database right now. They've got 794 players in the transfer portal um, here on March 24th. So still 16 teams playing. So those guys are going to make decisions. Um, you're going to have more decisions coming uh, as these transfer portal players make decisions. What You know, if... Team A picks up somebody out of the portal. There's a guy on Team A that says, ah, my playing time's gone. I'm going to have to find something new. Uh, you're seeing guys decommit from schools. I've uh, seen a couple guys in, you know, North Carolina players that were, I saw a guy committed to Clemson who's backing out of his letter of intent because, um, you know, you, you don't know what's going on out there. So uh, UNCW has shown some interest in a few guys that look really interesting. Greg Gant is probably the, the biggest name out of that bunch. He's a guy out of Fayetteville who was kind of a, a fourth, three, four-star recruit, big athletic um, kind of stretch four-ish player that really, really fits well into the system that Takeo Siddle wants to run with getting up and down the floor and um, having some athleticism at that four position where he'll get mismatches and that sort of thing. And then uh, Cam Holden is a guy out of UT Martin that was a great scorer. Uh, you got... Uh, Jack Hemphill, who was at Boston University, he's a local guy out of uh, the Raleigh area. 
Um, so just a lot of different names that you kind of see out there. Um, they're interested in a few big men who are of the kind of, you know, 6'9", 6'10", variety that a little bit thinner than probably what you would expect out of a center, probably in that 220-pound range for that height. So, um, you know, good things coming. I don't think the program is going to fold like um, maybe some people predicted when when all of those uh, folks join or entered the transfer portal a few weeks back. You know, if, if you're Takeo Siddle coming in as a, a new head coach, and obviously if you're a new head coach, that means things probably weren't the best before you got here. Um, you know, and you want to mold the roster in your image, you know, what you want to see of it. And, of course, you would hope you'd have guys here that you want to keep with you. And that's that's going to happen. But, you know, what an ideal opportunity, you know, again, silver lining here with the COVID thing to really go out and, and sell yourself, sell your program, and get the guys that you want to be here, here. Uh, and so yeah, this is, we'll see what um, happens. You know, this is just like the situation that you see in the NBA when there are big free agents. Is, you, <laughs> sorry, the, the Knicks, poor, the poor Knicks, always, uh, you know, they've always got that cap room cleared. They've got everybody coming off the books for that summer that LeBron's going to be a free agent or KD's going to be a free agent or something like that. So, you know, in, in some ways, uh, UNCW has, has gotten everybody off the books now and the roster is wide open so that they can completely rebuild the roster around the players that they've they've kept and the players they want to bring in. So, you know... Let's right, just hope it happens quicker than the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. The, hey, the Knicks are balling this year. This um, year, yeah. This year. Okay. But, yeah. yeah, it took a little... I think since 98. Since Matt Fish last played for them, did they make the playoffs? No, Carmelo made it one year. Yeah, Carmelo made it one year. Um, Bowed out to Boston. So we got, we got five guys on the roster right now. Shaquem Phillips, who was... If you had to identify one player that you absolutely could not lose, um, I think that's your guy because that's your that's your point guard, uh, Mike Ukaru, who had, was phenomenal this past year playing point guard when when he wasn't always a point guard. Uh, Jamari Harvey, who's a really exciting young guy, who's uh, he's got great length. He plays really hard. He's a good defender. And then uh, Jalen Sims, who's a, a really dynamic scorer, um, can play a couple of different positions and. Um, has he's shown some flashes of being a really good defender too and then I think the the one kind of guy that uh it's great to see back but you weren't necessarily sure that would be back is Jay uh Estime Estime Jay Estime 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 anyway he's back <laughs> he's back on the roster which is which is awesome to see because um you know he suffered a couple pretty serious injuries and and you weren't sure if that that meant that he would end his career or have to continue his career elsewhere so um that's a that's a good bunch of players that you feel pretty confident in having if you can add a few more pieces to that through the transfer portal well look at the end of the day you know since the uh, exodus of the early what 2010s when vcu and george mason and odu georgia state all left you know it's been a one bid league yeah it's a one bid and so you know hopefully Three bids for CA will come back someday, <laughs> but until then, it's a one big lead. You saw Drexel go out there, and you know, the CA and me pulled for Drexel, no doubt. But getting a 16 seed, um, you know, just not a great look for the conference. And so, you've got nothing but opportunity, and you know, the future's bright for the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, future. I mean, the league. Uh, when you look around the league, you you like the coaches. You like. Generally, the teams are, I mean, there's a lot to feel good about in the league right now, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to take some better scheduling moving forward with so that you don't get yourself into that 16 seed situa or situation again. Because, I mean, you think back when we were, like, in school and UNCW playing in the 8-9 game in 2006, and then uh, we were seeded 13 and 12, I think, in the, in the most recent runs. The key series, yeah, sounds about so, right. So, um, yeah, you, you want to be closer to that than the 15-16. The yeah, this year, obviously, an oddball year where, you know, COVID played a whole big factor in kind of the conference schedule yeah, everywhere. You, you, you could, it wasn't real easy to get a lot of games this year, so... That did affect some things. Um, but, hey, you know, maybe the, the CAA is going to go away. Maybe James Madison's going to end the CAA on their very own. Uh, that's kind of a funny story that's happened this week. Not sure if you might have missed it, but the, uh, James Madison has done some creative interpretation of the CAA's contract with Flow Sports and determined um, that if they were going to do broadcasts with Flow Sports... That only meant that they did broadcasts with multiple cameras and commentary and things like that. But they discovered that if they were just to put like a static, steady camera out there, um, that could be their own little thing that they don't have to do through Flow Sports. I mean, putting camera twos out of work out there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, maybe you don't want to talk as, uh, as, a, as a, someone who makes... I'm in uh, the union. You're, yeah, you're in the Flow Sports Union over there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, and I think it just kind of points a little more to some of the issues that this conference has. Well, I don't think anyone. I, it's no secret that the CAA is uh, in a an odd spot right now. I don't think anyone outside of like administration is happy with the Flow Sports thing. Um, you know, no one wants to have to pay certainly that much and get not that much in return. So I, I certainly understand that. Um, you'd have to think there'd be something better out there, but I'm not sure how soon that's going to happen. Seahawk Perch TV. We got Perch merch. We got a podcast. Can we just go... We got graphics. We got... We go stand outside the stadium on, <laughs> on like a scissor lift or something and just film the game? Scissor lift, like holding uh, an antenna... Uh, a no. selfie stick? Yeah, holding a selfie stick. Um, yeah, that, so yeah. I don't think that Seahawk Perch TV is cl anything close, but... Can we trademark that now just in case? Yeah, we'll get the trademark filed. Um, we got some more ideas coming down the road um, that are not Seahawk Perch TV, um, but some fun stuff, hopefully. Um, um, I think that about wraps it up, huh? We've, I think that about wraps we, it up. We've been droning on for a while. You got yeah, a, we probably shouldn't do this this late anymore. You got, a, you got a lunch review? Do I have a lunch review? You know what? Um, I'll break some news here on the podcast, right? Okay. So, uh, Parchy's Barbecue Restaurant. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, downtown, 12th and Princess, right across from New Hanover. Friend of UNCW Athletics. Friend of Athletics, you know, acquaintance of the podcast. Uh, Dave Wachon. Officially, so, officially. Solid, solid fellow. Officially closing on April the 20th. <laughs> last day. Um, so get in there while you can. Get in there while you can. Rip some memorabilia off the wall. <laughs> Take a pig with you. Take a booth. Um, Rip some seats out. <laughs> Thursday fried chicken still. Um, otherwise, get you, you know, a nice cheesesteak, a cheeseburger, fried shrimp. Make it a platter. Get you a side. Uh, get it while you can, because 
after April the 20th. I'm not sure when you're going to get another one. And if you go in there for Seahawk Perch listeners only, tell them the Seahawk Perch sent you, and, and you will get a special prize from Dave Wishon, the owner of Parchies. Use promo code Kakaw. He is the, the man with the beard, usually wearing a UNCW baseball cap. Can't miss him. Uh, it's a fantastic place to eat, though. I'm going to miss it. Uh, you're, you're a big fan of the shrimp burger down there. Uh, shrimp, I go shrimp plate, I'd say more so uh, than shrimp the, plate. Uh, the sandwich. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I just go standard barbecue plate usually, but the cheesesteak is fantastic. So, uh, big fan of that. Um, and hopefully going to get by there before they close up here shortly. Um, we're back, baby. COVID's over. Thank you, Cooper. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we made a brief stopover at Jimmy's at Wrightsville Beach last Wednesday after the game. I don't, I don't think Red Cooper knew about that one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but let's just say... I will say I had not been in a crowded college bar in a very long time. Um, I, I had myself a Red Bull and I had a lovely time. It was nice to feel the, the youthful energy of the place, I'll say that. But um, it was a bit more crowded. Than I, we were trying to support them in their best bar endeavor, and unfortunately that came to an end this week uh, with the loss to Sup Dogs. Still best bar in our hearts. One of those bars is on Wrightsville Beach, and one of them is in Pitt County. So uh, we really know who the best bar is. You be the judge. <laughs>